Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand worn by John McEnroe, Vitas Gerolitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com. Use the code SHAP30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. She was born in Brisbane, Australia in 1984 and was the top-ranked Australian player from 2008 to 2017, armed with the best kick serve in women's tennis and a ferocious forehand. She got to four in the world and beat Serena Williams to win the 2011 U.S. Open. She amassed over 40 titles in singles and doubles over her illustrious career and always competed with dignity and grace. She retired from singles at this past Australian Open, but continues to compete in doubles. The great Sam Stozer is today's guest. So hang on a second. You just came home from dinner in Strasbourg. Do I have that right? That is right. And when do you make your way to Paris? Uh, we're going tomorrow late afternoon. You'll just get settled in there and get sorted. And then I suppose the, the Drubbles draw will come out uh, sooner than later. I think it comes out on Monday. So we've got a couple of days. I think it comes out on Monday and then double starts on Wednesday. A young woman you hear, former world number four, the 2011 Australian Open champion, beat Serena Williams at the US Open. The best Australian player there was for years and years and years and years. And that is future Hall of Famer, as far as I'm concerned. And I think most people in tennis is concerned, Sam Stozer. First of all, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, as you know, we do a five-set format. The first set is the off-the-court report. So do I have it right that you're in Strasbourg and you're going to be headed to Paris? That is right. Now, you got to explain this. You came out of, you retired after the Australian Open singles, and you already just, you already came out, of, you already played singles. You completely, <laughs> you completely flipped the script on everybody. <laughs> I flipped it on myself too. Um, no, I came over here with no intention of playing singles because I haven't done so since Melbourne. And um, I was in my hotel room literally on Friday morning when I was here and the phone rang in the hotel and it was the tournament director. Um, and he asked me what my singles ranking was. And I was like, oh, I, I don't even know. And then he said, just ballpark. And I was like, I, I don't know, maybe three or 400. I said, I haven't played since January. And he said, no, 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 I know this. I know this, but I have a wild card and I would like you to have it if you want to play. And I was like, are you being serious? And then he was like, yep, I have one. You know, you've won this tournament twice and blah, 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 blah. And um, I said, oh, okay, can I have an hour to think about it? And he gave me 15 minutes. And so <laughs> I was like oh my god what do I do because I was like obviously I know that I um retired from singles in January and I've done like no singles practice really since then um but then the you know idea of being able to play another match on clay in a place where I love you know playing on this center court here it's been great I've had obviously success and playing on my favorite surface I um I couldn't resist it. So I said yes and then scrambled to go and play a few practice games in singles that afternoon. So it was um it was a bit of a it was a surprise to me as well, but it was a bit of fun. And Strasbourg is beautiful. 
Oh, it is a stunning city. It is beautiful. The canals, the architecture. It's just, it is such a pretty city. And yeah, I love coming back here every year. You uh, are on your way from Strasbourg to the French Open and so much is going on in tennis. I'd like to just move right into the second set. It's the on the court report. Listen, the WTA just a couple days ago released their back end of the year post US Open schedule. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about the health of the WTA at the moment? Uh, I mean, look, I think it's it's a tough position for any organization to be in, let alone obviously one that travels the world and, you know, it's not cheap to run events and, you know, do what tennis does. But um, it was good that they did finally announce a schedule for after the US Open. And it, I think it actually the tournaments, it actually looks pretty good to me, I think. Um, you know, you've got a couple of events in North America and the, the, the uh, you know, uh, Masters tournament that we normally have in Beijing is now in Guadalajara. And I think they'll do a great job there. That's where we had the finals last year. And, um, you know, there's a bit in Japan and stuff. So I think, you know, there's a couple of options there, depending on what part of the world you want to be playing in, which I, which I think is great. What was your feeling about the initial, you know, what, what sort of preempted everything, which was, or, or was the sort of catalyst for everything, which was this Peng Shui, situation where the WTA chose to pull out of China completely yeah I I mean obviously it's a pretty uh it was a hot topic and and obviously it's kind of died down a little bit now but we're still not quite sure where Pong Shui is um but yeah like honestly I was pretty proud of the WTA and proud to be a WTA player when they pulled out of everything there and wanted answers and um, you know, when they didn't get them, then I think it took a lot of guts to pull, I mean, uh, what is it, maybe six or seven events in China. Our finals were in Shenzhen. Um, so to kind of stand up and, and say, no, we're not going to accept this and we want answers on one of our players. Um, yeah, I was really proud of the tour for doing that. So I think kudos for them. And I, I hope it kind of comes back Um to them and, and it shows that kind of what, what they stand for. And, um, and yeah, I hope they can somehow obviously <laughs> move forward and, and obviously not be a financial burden because of that decision. And the whole logic uh, title sponsorship is obviously a big coup as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, may, I mean, maybe that's all part of it. They've seen what the tour is about and, and pretty honorable decision. So for them now to have a title sponsor is fantastic. You know, one of the most glaring things we saw in the last few weeks as it pertains to women's tennis was this massive disparity in prize money at the Italian Open, which isn't new. But, you know, you as one of the elder statesmen of the tour now and such, do you, do you ever have any interesting conversations with, I don't know, tournament directors or anything that goes on internally to kind of just voice displeasure at those kind of situations? Yeah, to be honest, I haven't. Um, I mean, this might sound a little stupid, but my whole career, I've never really looked at, you know, points or what you get for winning, you know, X tournament or first round or what's going on with that. It's just, I just know that if you win more matches, you get more points, you win more matches, you get more money. It's never been anything 
that I've really looked at seriously and kind of dissected and gone through it. Um, but yeah, obviously the the disparity between the likes of an Italian Open, it just it, you kind of just shake your head. And yes, I know we're two different tours, and that's where I guess people who don't follow tennis, you know, or live it like we do. Um, they think you're playing the same tournament. It's in the same city. How can it not be the same? But we are on two different tours. And um, unfortunately, that's still how it is, which is, you know, I don't think it's fair. I don't agree with it. Um, And it it shows even being the, I guess, the leader of women's sport in the world, really, we are the biggest women's sport in the world. There's still disparity and we're trying to close that gap and I think we deserve it, but there's still a lot that needs to go on. Ash Barty retiring felt like a really big blow to pro tennis when it went down. Did you have any inkling of any, uh, of any rumblings of of that happening? (laughs) No, I was in Miami um, playing the Miami open and I was, actually about to go and brush my teeth and go to bed and I got onto Instagram and saw her talking and I was like oh my god Ash's just retired and I did not see it coming now I didn't I didn't think she was going to have you know a multi-year you know long-lasting longest career of anyone by any means but um, I certainly didn't see it coming right now and I think it did shock a lot of people that um, you know, you'd want to walk away when you're obviously at the top of your game. You're the best player in the world. You've just won your home grand slam. Everything looks, you know, amazing and you've achieved so much in short, such a short time. But um, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't see it coming right now, but I, I didn't think, like I said, it was going to be 10 years time. I, I didn't think she was going to have the longest career, but yeah, definitely a bit of a shock. Is there any truth to the the golf theories is that something that you guys think that you internally with the Aussies, do you think that that's something that's going to happen? Oh, honestly, I don't know when I, I actually, I texted her and I said, so when are you going to join the golf tour or play Aussie rules football? Um, and she just laughed and whatever, but um, no, I think Ash, she's incredibly talented at, you know, whatever she is. She's already played cricket. She's played tennis um she's a great golfer already and I'm sure putting in you know minimal time given that she was a professional tennis player so if she you know turns her hand at golf then I have no doubt she's going to be pretty good whether or not she wants to play professionally who knows um because that would you know still entail a lot of travel and and you know things that you got to do with tennis as well but um, I think it'll be a very interesting uh, spot to watch what, what Ash wants to do next. And if it's in a sporting uh, code or format, then I think they've got to, whoever's in that sport's got to look out because I think she's going to be pretty damn good. You know, it's hard to get your head around like when someone's such a great athlete and they're in that, like you said, the prime of the career that they would just shut it all down. You know, Lorena mm-hmm. Ochoa did that. So I guess, you know, I guess we'll see. Um, what can you tell me about the greatness of this uh, Iga Sviantek 28 match uh, streak? I can tell you that it's very impressive <laughs> to do it over a couple of surfaces. And, you know, she's so young. Um, one thing I am so happy for her about is that obviously when Ash did retire, she became world number one. Um, 
And I'm so happy literally since that moment, well, even before she'd already won Doha and whatever, um, she's absolutely dominated. So without question, she's totally the worthy number one, 100% deserves it. She's playing like she's been on tour for years. Um, and she's, I think she's exciting to watch. I like watching her play. I like her game. And, uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen at the French Open, but it's a very impressive run nevertheless. Do you know her well? Not well. We've practised a few times, um, but she always says hello. She's a nice girl. Her team's great. Um, and, yeah, I, I've always kind of, I guess, since she started on tour, um, watched a little bit. And, and, yeah, like I said, we've practised over the years together. and I've always enjoyed those encounters so um but yeah no she seems like a a good person to be up there for sure and how good is she like what does she bring to the table that maybe we don't see you know some sometimes the sport doesn't translate on television but she's so dominant is is there a quality about her that or about the way she strikes the ball that is unique um well, I mean, even I, I practiced with her, the last time we practiced was at the Australian Open before either of us played a match. And, um, you know, she hits a, a pretty heavy ball. She likes to play with a bit of spin, especially off her forehand. Um, what got me was when we were practicing and I'd pull her out wide to her backhand, how strong she was hitting open stance. Um, and then she can just get that ball back cross court so deep and totally neutralize what you're trying to do. Um, you know, she can move forward. She's got a good serve. Um, and I think mentally she's just very strong. I think it's, I mean, it's obvious she's always taken that side of her game seriously, traveling with Daria. And, um, and I, I think to kind of break through is really tough. And now when you've won 28 matches in a row, you, I mean, she's got to feel kind of invincible. It doesn't matter what. <laughs> what she does it's going to feel great she's going to think that she can make any ball at any time no matter what the scoreline so you know playing against someone like that that's a, a real uphill battle I thought that the first time because I thought that when she won the French I don't know I don't I felt like nobody was paying attention just because it was such an odd year but when she beat um Plishkova love and love at the Italian <laughs> I just saw a quality. I saw a quality in her that I was like, "Oh wait, that's different." You know, and sorry. No, no, you go ahead. Sorry. I thought that, um, you know, that she has like a taste for really putting her foot on the gas and really, really sort of, you know, trying to wipe the opponent out. Yeah, she she puts a foot down and she senses that. And, yeah, you don't see her, you know, randomly lose a second set 6-1 and completely just kind of disappear. It just doesn't happen. And she is dialed in. And, yeah, uh, that's a really good way to put it. She just sees that opportunity. She puts a foot down and she is ruthless. <laughs> so, I mean, she's yeah. feeding her, like, top rivals, in straight sets easily and it's like okay um kind of what's next so i mean like i said i mean each match that you win that goes by um you just feel better and better about things and and yeah like she just is killing it at the moment 
let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. Now, do I have it right that you grew up in Brisbane? Uh, I was born in Brisbane. Uh, when I was young, we moved to Adelaide for five years, and that's actually where I started playing tennis. Um, and when I was about uh, eight or nine, we moved back to the Gold Coast. And so your tennis begins in Adelaide. I've been to Adelaide, and and mm-hmm. the, the tennis community in Adelaide is robust, <laughs> to yeah, say I the mean- least. I had my first tennis lesson at Memorial Drive, which is where the you know men, Australian men's event, hard court event used to be. Um, I mean, there's been multiple events there now in, in recent years, and it doesn't look anything like it did when I first started there. But um, yeah, Adelaide has had some very good, well, South Australia's had some very good players from Australia, that's for sure. Well, Darren's from there, and uh, Leighton Hewitt is from there. But for our listeners, if you go to Adelaide, Australia, and and this particular club, this particular place that Sam is referring to, you'll see men and women on the grass serving and volleying. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, it's wild. I mean, every it's a big tennis community there. Oh, it sure is. It's right next to the cricket ground. It's you know in the city. It's um yeah. It's a it's a great place to to go and watch tennis. It's a great place to play tennis. So yeah, I was very fortunate that that's where I first started, and you know I had my first group lessons on a Saturday morning for half an hour, and um, then when we moved back to Queensland on the Gold Coast, that's kind of when things got a little more serious for me. So was did you see late? Did you see Leighton when he was probably thirteen and you were eleven or ten? Or did you? Oh st- no, no, I was. Sorry. It was way younger than that. I was only like. Yeah, we left there when I was seven or eight. So I see. No, sorry, I started when I was eight. So we left there maybe when I was nine. I see. I see. Um, so, so how did you get good? <laughs> well, I, I yeah, we went to the local club in on the Gold Coast, and I had a coach there, um, and I just started playing. You know, the we call them fixtures on the weekends, and you know, you got your little team and you play singles and doubles and whatever. And um, you're playing club tennis, private... essentially, like um, yeah. matches, fixtures. Yeah, on, on the weekends. And I had my private lesson one hour a week. And um, yeah, not before long, then that coach wanted to start a family. She, she was a woman and um, advised my parents to send me to this coach up in Brisbane, which was a good hour and hour and 15 minute drive away um so mum and dad just kind of mum and dad my parents they knew nothing about tennis they didn't even know how to score the first time I went to a tournament or anything um and uh so we yeah didn't know anything so we just trusted what Helen was telling us at that point and um yeah I, I was coached up there we we ended up going up there so I had my private lesson once a week I went up to squads two or three times a week um, and it was a full commitment from mum and dad to get me up there because I was too young to get there by myself or anything. And um, I was very fortunate. The coach I had, he saw potential in me. He taught me my kick serve. Um, all his players, especially all the boys, they had incredible serves. Um, and, yeah, I was only like 10 and he was starting to get me to do the action and the motion and, and everything else. And he record it we'd watch it on the tv on the side of the court and um 
yeah, looking back, I, it, it was, yeah, a big effort from my family for sure to allow me to do that because it, it wasn't easy. And But when you're a kid, you just think, oh, I'm just going to tennis. What's the big deal? We go to McDonald's on the way home. <laughs> Now uh, that you're talking about, uh, you know, kicking up that serve, Wayne Arthur's isn't part of that group, is he? No, no, okay. The guys that didn't, um, they didn't really make it on the professional tour. They played challenges and stuff, mm. and then gave it away. But they all had monster serves. But hang on a second, how? But you, you start, you start playing pro tennis essentially when you were 15 years old. How does wow. that? Is that is that inaccurate? Is that not fair to say? Well, I mean, I got my first check when I was 15, for sure. So I guess in some terms, you're pro, but I mean, it was probably only for about $75 at a $25,000 in Australia. Okay. okay, but so when did you really start becoming a pro player? How old were you? Um, I would say, I mean, I did the junior tours and stuff, so it was definitely what I wanted to be doing. Um, yeah. But when I was about, I think I was maybe 17 or 18, I did a trip to Japan for four weeks playing 10,000s. And that was really like, all right, I'm going away. We didn't have a coach. There was a group, four of us, or five of us that went kind of together and traveled around. Um, and that was kind of like, all right, yeah, I'm a professional tennis player. But, yeah. and, and that's what I was going to do, you know? Now, was there a day, you know, was there a moment where you thought you could be elite? Was there a match you played? Was there a week that, you know, sticks out like, oh, man, you know, I I never thought I could be this good. Now I think I could be really, really good. Uh, that's a good question, actually. Um, I don't know if there was one particular moment because there was certainly times say on my first junior trip to Europe I was just a fish out of water and had no idea what I was doing I could not play on clay I could not play on grass I didn't win a match for like nine weeks and I finally won one at junior Wimbledon um and I did you know it was really how I was calling home reverse charges two or three times a day and it was just like didn't, 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 at the time didn't win a match for nine weeks yeah. And it was rough. And I was the youngest one in the team. And, um, but looking back now, it certainly made me resilient and, you know, able to stick things out and hang tough and kind of be like, nope, I want to do this. And even though this is really hard and like I said, I'm calling home all the time, I'm crying every day. I'm going to stick it out. I'm not going to go home. So it actually did, I think in turn, teach me, a lot about what the life and the road ahead was going to be about. But um, as for when I thought I was going to be all right at it, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I think it's just kind of evolved. But it's one thing to be 400 in the world and think you're like, you're probably not doing great or doing well. And that's, or you could get to two fit. What's it really? When do you crack the top hundred? Is that when you think you could be four? Is that when you think you could win a major? Um, well, on it, or it just I, all happens. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it sort of happens, and you, you gradually you start seeing yourself in different, you know, ranking brackets and playing better tournaments. And I knew that I didn't want to get stuck playing in that challenger level, and tried to, you know, move through that as quickly as possible. And then 
Um, I mean, I had early success playing doubles with Lisa Raymond. So you kind of get a taste for what it, you've got to do when you're playing the best players in the world. And, you you know, I remember in Zurich practicing on the court next to Mary Pierce and you start seeing, you know, things like that. And, um, but I, I, I mean, I was probably about, I think it was 30 or 40 in the world when I had to stop because I had Lyme disease. So I missed nearly a year um, out with illness. And when I came back, I made the decision not to play doubles as much because um, I thought I could definitely be better than say 40 in the world. I was like, no, nah, I can a hundred percent be better than that. Did I know it was going to be four and win a grand slam? No. But as I slowly started climbing, you start believing a little more and, I think my runs at the French Open certainly obviously enhanced that feeling of, um, you know, this is possible. Yeah, you said on uh, Renee's, Renee Stubbs' show that uh, the Racket Magazine, formerly the Racket Magazine podcast, you said that you were stuck at 30 and then you made this like heavy effort to, to push. Yeah, I, I just felt like I could be better than that. And, um, at the time I, you know, I was working with a coach who helped me kind of, yeah, put my game together and fit the pieces of the puzzle together and, and understand all of that a lot better. And um, yeah, then you start winning, you start beating players that you, you know, think are really good and that you really respect. And, you know, you find yourself being in one of those positions then, and then it kind of breeds from there, I think. And you, you, be able to kind of think well I did it last week I could beat that person rate that why can't I do it again and you start getting used to being on a center court and you know playing in a you know semi-final on you know a big court or whatever and you, that sort of starts to feel normal whereas when you're younger and you're trying to make your way up you're 100 in the world you get thrown onto Philip Chatrier for the first time I remember playing it there the first time against Natalie Deshi. I completely got lost on the court because it was so big compared to what I was used to. And I was playing like five meters behind the baseline and was just getting run around because I'd just never been on a court that big before. Amazing. You got lost on the court because you'd never, <laughs> it's funny because every now and then, you know, I'm just, a, we're just club players. I'm just, a, but you've, every time we, so once in a while we have an opportunity to play on a stadium court and it's true that you, it, 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 it sort of shakes you because you're not used to that totally yeah and then all of a sudden it's like my favorite court in the world you're not used to the space on the sides and behind and yeah exactly even like when you throw the ball up with your seats it's like the craziest <laughs> thing <laughs> that's fun now in 2010 you made a big run to the finals of the french and you've talked about this you said that you know you you had, you know, you lost the final and you were extremely upset. Never watched that match. You told a fun story about that, mm -hmm. that when you finally watched the match, it, it sort of steeled you a little bit and moved. And then we, and then you got to 2011. Yeah. I, I mean, that loss really hurt. I mean, I'd had an incredible run to get to the final and I, I mean, I'd had success against, Francesca many times before I think the year before we'd played each other in the first round of Roland Garros and I beat her then and um yeah and on, on the day she played better than me and um that was that but yeah that was really hard to take I was just absolutely shattered 
and um, had a terrible grass court swing and um, which, you know, I haven't had the most amazing grass court swings in my career, but that one was pretty rough. And um, I uh, couldn't watch the match. And and then I think it wasn't until maybe the year after or maybe two years after at Roland Garros. When you I think you said that it was at the French that you were in the yeah. players' lounge. And it was the match it was in a raid delay. Yeah, well, before the tournament started, they just had like replays of matches on all, all the right. TVs around the <laughs> restaurant and stuff. And I was eating my lunch and it came on. I had no choice but to look at it. And... Um, and I was like, oh, no, here we go. But, um, you know, I have since watched it. And I did think, oh, geez, okay, it wasn't, wasn't as bad as what I thought. And I think knowing that then um, I kind of came with it a bit better and, and kind of was able to move past it by actually accepting it and seeing it and whatever else. And I have no doubt in my mind that 100% helped me going into the final against Serena at the US Open the year after. So getting ready um, for this interview, I was watching that match and I forgot how good you were. <laughs> like I forgot <laughs> like how good and how good Serena was. The level was really, really, really high. Like you neither like you were you were not really missing and you were playing like super, super well. Great, great points. You had had a much tougher road to the final than Serena. Serena was like, I just looked at the draw. She blew everybody out of the water. Killed every, <laughs> she was killing everybody. Did beating Kerber in the semi help your confidence? Why did you play so well in that final? I mean, I'd had some, t- like you said, I'd had some tough matches getting in. My third round with Petrova at the time, I think, was the longest women's match at the U.S. Open. Then the next match against Kirilenko, we played the longest tie break, definitely at the US Open. Um, and then it's funny, in the quarters, I beat Vera Zvonareva, who was the second seed, and nobody ever talks about me beating Zvonareva, even though she was two in the world. Um, and then I played Kerber. Nobody really knew Kerber. I didn't know her. I think she was 80 in the world at the time. She had her breakthrough just then, even couple of weeks before um I think she did well in the tournament in Dallas and um that was a tough match and I just remember being we played that semi-final on the old grandstand court we didn't even get to play on center court there was all these dramas with schedule and whatever else through the whole tournament and um I remember yeah we finished a little bit earlier than Serena and uh I just had this sense that I knew I was going to play well the next day and fully believe that I could win. I'd, I'd beaten Serena twice before. Um, we'd played each other in the final of Toronto only a couple of weeks earlier and she beat me, I think, four and four there. But I just knew I could win. And I knew she didn't love playing me if I did, you know, A, B and C well. And um, Wait, what was A, B yeah, and C? I, I, what was A, B and C? <laughs> well I'd, I'd have to I can't even remember all my like nitty gritty match notes but I know she didn't like returning my serve she hate I know she didn't like my kicker um and I knew I did I, I could I didn't mind returning her serve obviously if she was serving really well and she's hitting the corners you just they're too good but sometimes I could read it um and her second serve I, I didn't mind um, I knew I could pull her around the court and use my slice a little bit. and But it, 
yeah, I just had this sense. I, I knew I was playing well enough throughout the whole event and, um, yeah, went to bed that night. Well, you said that you were ready to go. Thinking and knowing I was going to be a party pooper and I was going to win the match. And, you know, the whole tournament, I remember watching the tennis back in the hotel room and it was like nobody else existed in the event um, every time you were watching it on TV. So I was like, no, nah, I'm going to do this this time. And, and, yeah, I was able to play a very, very good match. Your kicker, you 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 kick it down the tee on the deuce court. You kick it out wide. You kick it into the body. You know, it was a huge weapon for you. There's not a lot of women on tour that that hit that kick serve. But I felt like you were able to hit a, a massive amount of forehands. And you were just absolutely crushing your inside-out forehand, opening up the court. And and you just – I mean, I thought Serena played well, to be honest with you. I didn't. I thought you just outplayed her. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I was feeling. I felt like at the start it was a bit toe-to-toe. Um and then I, yeah, was able to get that lead. I was able to close out that first set. And, um, you know, that changeover after the first set, I, I think I've said it to someone before, if the microphone was a centimetre closer to me, I swear it would have picked up my heartbeat because my heart was pounding in my chest. And for our, Sorry, for our listeners, if you don't remember, on Game Point, it was, was it Breakpoint or it was Game Point? Was it Breakpoint? Uh, oh my god, I can't even remember whether it was Breakpoint or Game Point. First but that was game early of, in the sorry, second sorry, set. Sorry, the literally the first game of the second set, it was Game Point for Sam. Serena hit a backhand. Essentially, it was a winner, but but she yelled "Come on!" before Sam and Sam got a racket on it. Just it she just framed it, but the line. Sorry, the chair umpire called hindrance and gave the point to Sam, and it was Game Point. Serena, I thought she kept her composure, but it was like, it was an odd moment. Um, she, and then she literally hammered the chair umpire on every, every change till the end of the match. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I was down the other end and I couldn't hear any of that. And even on the changeovers, I never heard, well, I just wasn't looking for it. I didn't hear any of that. Um, on the changeovers, because obviously then you're so invested and you're so focused on what you're doing. But um, it's like you were just far away enough to not hear it. And she wasn't screaming. She was just talking no, to her. She was saying, like, don't look at me. I don't ever want to see you. She was, it was like she was trying to just, I don't know. It was an odd thing because she, it wasn't like she played bad afterwards. I mean, she was right. You guys were right there. It was three all. I mean, it was three all yeah. and you broke. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, at that point as well, when all that started happening, I felt the crowd absolutely lift and fully get, but not that they, they weren't against me as such, but they got really more pro Serena because up until that point, I was able to kind of keep it a little more tame because I was winning on the scoreboard and playing well and, you know, doing what I needed to do. And um, then they went absolutely crazy and the noise and the atmosphere was just you know, something I've never experienced since. Did you ever have a conversation with her ever about anything that shook out on, at, at that final? No, no, we never have. Never spoke about it. Never spoke about it. Did you ever speak? <laughs> have you ever spoken? 
Oh no, we've spoken, you know, like whatever, sometimes in the locker room or there was, we played IPTL one year at the same time. And um, no, there's certainly been the odd, you know, little conversation or, you know, things to each other, but yeah, no, that we've never spoken about that match. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, what was the mood, you know, in the, in the press and such after, cause the hindrance was, it was such an odd situation that the chair umpire awarded the point and didn't play two. Like if you listen to the broadcast, McEnroe, the American broadcast, McEnroe's like saying, well, they should probably play two. And then they gave mm-hmm. the point and it was like, whoa, whoa, that is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know that it was obviously a unique circumstance and situation. Um, obviously, the you know, biggest one of the biggest stages in tennis and um but I, I, honestly after the match a lot of what happened or it was such a blur um i barely even remember my press conference and uh yeah. the i mean you just come off the court and then you you know whisked into one room and then you're taken here and you're taken there and then you eventually get to see your team and um yeah all all of i, I wish i could kind of relive different parts of that day because there's parts that I remember obviously very vividly and super clear and other parts where I've, you know, got no recollection of what was going on. Did you ever play better? It was, was it, would it be fair to say that that's amongst the best tennis you ever played or was it just another day of, of you playing well? Uh, no, no, definitely one of the best matches I've ever played. Um, I mean, when you look at the whole situation, who you're playing, what the stakes were, um, you know, and you put the whole thing together and, and how I played, I played a, you know, a great match. And, you know, we, if I could have played like that more and more times in my career, maybe I would have got higher than four. But um, there's probably two matches, definitely one match that stands out where I think, you know, those absolute matches where you're completely in the zone and you just feel like you hit everything for winners. I've played maybe two of those and one of them was in the final of Charleston, um, whatever year that was against Savona Reva. And that is hands down the best match I've ever played in Charleston. So, but yeah, I'm not going to say I didn't play exceptionally well at the US Open. Sports is incredible that, you know, you'll never forget those days where you just go lights out like that. Um, but I tell you, I was, I happened to be at that match. This is one of the only finals I've ever attended. And it just kind of felt to me, it was like, Oh man, you know, she's really not missing. She's really not missing at all. And next thing you know, that first set was over, you know, and then, then whatever happened happened. And then it was a tight second set, but I felt like you just didn't miss yeah, I, I didn't miss, but I served. I served well. Um, and moving, and I, unbelievable. I, you know, I was still being aggressive, and yeah, I was moving well, and I just was able to get her in sort of some awkward positions and absolutely dominate with my forehand. And yeah, I mean, I must have hit, I don't know, twenty off forehand winners for the match, I'd reckon. So, but yeah, I think serving very well. Um, in that match also got me out of a couple of sticky situations. So you brought it up and I'm going to, I want to follow up, but 
you said it would have been great to have had more days like that. How come you never did better than those two weeks? Is there anything that, you know, happened? Is there anything that was the, was the, did the pressure become too immense and intense? Could you have done better? Um, I mean, I don't know. You, you don't know what you don't know in hindsight. It's an amazing thing, but um if I could have won another Grand Slam, of course, I'd love to. I think, obviously, the, the one I really wanted to win was the French and whatever else. Then I got that opportunity before the Open. And I think for four or five years, I was in the top 10 and, um, you know, was really consistent with my results and playing really well and, and everything else. I don't know. Could I have done more? Who knows? But I think I'm still really proud of the career that I had and getting to four was great and um you know it's been a long career and I in a lot of ways can't believe I'm still out here playing but um I don't know I I I don't feel like there's anything I would necessarily change or do differently and or any of that I think you kind of do what you can at the time with the best tools and um knowledge that you have and that's all that you've really got I mean, what a career. It's incredible. You know, I, I ask it in a way because maybe it didn't come out right, but like I spoke to Jimmy Arias, right? And Jimmy Arias got to four and he said, I didn't do better because I liked the way my life was when I was four and I, I, I would have had to have worked harder and I got content with being four mm. and I never got better and I got worse, <laughs> you know, and he sort <laughs> of, has a, and he has a regret when it's all said and done it sounds to me like you feel like you left it all out there on the, on the, on the pro tennis tour. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I did what I could and, um, you know, I worked hard for everything I got and trained and, you know, did what I could, like I said before. So I think I'm, I'm happy with where I got to. Um, do you always want that a little bit more, of course, but um, you know, I can go to bed at night feeling pretty, pretty happy with the career that I've had. Absolutely. 100%. Now that win, you didn't wear sunglasses then. When did the sunglasses come into, when did the glasses come in, the eyewear come into play? (laughs) Uh, I was like 13 or 14 and I just wanted a pair of sunglasses. So I asked, you know, mum and dad, I just want to play in sunglasses. And I had no other reason other than I wanted to be a little bit different. And I thought it looked cool. And that's how it all started. And then, you know, 20, 25 years later or whatever it is, um, I'm still wearing them nearly every single day on the court. So um, that was just absolute, you know, being a kid, I want to look a little bit different than everyone else. Wow. So why didn't you wear them in that final? Uh, If it's really overcast or, you know, there's not... I don't feel like I need them, then I won't. And there's, you know, okay. matches here and there where I don't wear them. But, um, yeah, not not very often. Yeah, you, you won't see me on the court without them. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. We go fast. I just say it, and you say what comes in your mind. You ready to go? Okay. Current racket. Head speed. What color is that one? Oh, it's black now. I had to think about that. It's changed a couple of times. And what size is your grip? Four and three eighths. 
And how do you string your racket? I put gut in the mains and a hawk three poly in the cross. What tension do you play at? Uh, this week I was 46 in the main, 50 in the cross. The most cavalier thing you ever did with prize money, straight out of the office. Did you ever, I don't know, go buy a yacht? Did you ever do anything like very funky? <laughs> um, no, but actually when I won the US Open, I was already renovating my apartment and um, I'd picked this kitchen island bench um, in marble and it was not cheap, but after I won the semi-final, I basically <laughs> said that Zavonna Raver paid for that one. <laughs> Very nice. Do you still have it? Yeah, I do. Yeah, no, it, it is not movable. <laughs> <laughs> not movable. Your favorite tournament? Or um, Charleston and Osaka. Why Osaka? I know why Charleston, but um, everyone loves Charleston. Is Osaka a great tour- tournament? It's just I always have a great feeling there, good vibes. Um, I've played well there. I mean, right from winning, I won a 10,000 there when I was 17. So ever since, I've just loved going back to that city. I mean, that sounds fan. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, your most difficult opponent? Oh, never loved playing Sharapova. Never loved playing Azarenka. Uh, do, you have bad re- do you have bad records versus those players? I think I've only beaten each of them once each, yeah. Not good records. Uh, is there anyone else that comes to mind? Those two? <laughs> Those two mostly. I don't think my record was great against Venus either. Is that right? She was tough for you? Tough out? Yeah. Yeah. Now, was there anyone that you just like love to see in the draw that you would just, you, you couldn't lose to? Was there anyone you just totally just abused every time you saw her? <laughs> I liked playing Zvonareva. I liked playing Lina. Um, oh, there'd be maybe a couple of others but yeah those two i just uh yeah i I like playing them (laughs) your uh favorite player growing up uh it was steffi graf and monica stellis your favorite player now oh rafa everyone loves rafa (laughs) agents um (laughs) Some good, some not so good. <laughs> Big entourage or lean and mean? Lean and mean. Why? Um, it's just hard to organize too many people. I think I've always never, I mean, some tournaments I've had my family, some tournaments I've had, you know, friends come and stuff, which I always love. But for the most part, it's kind of been, you know, two people with me maybe three some weeks but yeah never the you know a big huge crew every single week let's move into the fifth and final set this is the queen of the court if you could be the queen of tennis and make a change in the sport with just a swing of the racket no no aggravation what would it be let's go for equal prize money and um in all events and uh i don't know i think i think we could um 
I think we could start to play the let's. Why? I think it just, it's kind of some really make here, you know, no difference at all. And what's the difference to it happening on a serve or, you know, in the middle of a point, a forehand, clipping the tape and just rolling over. It's kind of not any different. Sam Stozer, play the let's. And listen, I mean, you're on your way to, you're on your way to Paris tomorrow. You're, and, you're, and do I have it right? You're playing doubles with Letitia Chan? That's right. Yep. Is it, is it, now, is this going to be your, is it whether this will be your second tournament together? Yeah. So we just played in Strasbourg the first time. Uh, we got Roland Garris and then we got the whole grass court swing through to Wimbledon together. So fingers crossed we go all right. And um, who knows after that, we'll see if we can, you know, get something going and have some fun. And now, now are you now? Is your singles? Are you are you, are, you, are we going to see you back out there again? Are you gonna are you gonna fake us out again, or is that over? <laughs> no, I think it's over. Um, I have no intention of playing singles. So you know, I mean, unless Roland Garros want to give me a last second wild card, um, I'd happily accept. But um, no, that's uh, that's it for me. I've called it a day. And what is it? You just love tennis, huh? You're going to go out there and play dubs, and you're just going to keep going and going. Is it, you just keep competing well? You just want to keep playing? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I do genuinely love playing tennis. And um, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen after this year, but if I can do something this year and have some fun and enjoy it, obviously it's quite different for me being out here, you know, only playing doubles. Um, but I like playing. I love practicing, uh, you know, like competing some days more than others, but on the whole, I figure, you know, I can do something that I love right now. So why not keep doing it? Why not keep doing it? Sam, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, good luck in Paris. And, you know, it's, uh, I always um, am so thrilled to have, you know, uh, whatever major winners and world number ones and, 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 and top tenors and, 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 and future hall of famers on the show. So this for me, was terrific. And thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. All right, Sam Stozer, you are released. <laughs> Huge. Thank you to Sam Stozer and good luck in Paris. Thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at Sergio Use my code SHAP30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro and you are released.